Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A warm, very warm welcome to Hard Currency, the Financial Times weekly podcast discussing the state of the foreign exchange market. I'm Roger Blitz, and it's pretty near impossible to take your eyes off the screens this week as currencies jerked all over the place. The dollar went through gyrations as markets digested whether the Federal Reserve had delivered a dovish or hawkish rate hike. Meanwhile, the pound got seasick on everything from a hung parliament, Brexit uncertainty, pretty rubbish economic news, and even dissent on the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee, while the Canadian dollar got to some dizzy heights as policymakers got pretty bullish on its economy. I'm joined by Bilal Hafiz, currency strategist at Nomura, to give us his thoughts on these and other moves. Bilal, first, the Fed. Dovish or hawkish hike in your view? I would say on balance, I would say it was slightly hawkish relative to what the market was expecting on the day. You know, on the day itself, we had very weak inflation numbers. So the market was expecting somewhat of a dovish statement by the Fed. Instead, they essentially said, let's ignore the inflation decline. And also, they gave a much firmer timeline of how they're going or when, how they're going to reduce their balance sheet, which was a surprise. So it does look like they're very likely to reduce their balance sheet towards the end of this year, whereas before they weren't really giving as much of an indication of that. On the other hand, come Thursday morning, it felt like the market just didn't feel like they wanted to to buy this hawkish line from Janet Yellen anymore. Correct. I mean, I think the problem for the market or the problem for the Fed, I should say, is that we've had three, perhaps almost four months of declining core inflation in the US. That comes off the back of an incredibly weak Q1 growth Mm. period. And so the market is thinking... The Fed's hiking. Yes, we know that. But the economy isn't doing so well. So what's the justification to have a sustained cycle of, of Fed hikes? So now the, the the evidence really needs to be much more on the data side for the market to really believe that the Fed is going to continue its tightening phase. Yes. So do you think Janet Yellen is, is happy with the way things are? Does she, will, she, will she mind this reaction from the markets? I think at the moment, not not so much. I think after the last two, three years where they were only able to squeeze in one hike every year, I think Yellen was really concerned that they may start to lose some credibility around aborted hiking cycles. So I think what they wanted to do this year was just get their policy rate up between 1% and 2%, just so they have a cushion away from emergency level policy rates. And it seems almost like they've, they've been hiking independent of data. And instead, uh, they've been focusing much more on, I would say, equities and the dollar. So as long as equities are strong and the dollars on the weak side, then they can they can squeeze in some extra hikes. Yes. Until that changes, then, then they can c- continue to do this. And, and the summer looks like a pretty soggy period for the dollar. So should we 
more than happy with that, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. I think a weaker dollar should help their inflation story. I also think that the summer will be the real test for the US economy. We'll see whether the consumption data, which has uh, continued to be weak in Q2, will, will start to turn around, whether the weakness in the also sector, partly driven by subprime loans in that sector, is, is really starting to spread out to other sectors of the economy. And also, we'll see whether core inflation it w- will, will pick up. It does look like the trend in core inflation is down now. And it's it's worryingly from the most recent report, it was driven more by domestic factors rather than international factors, this decline in core inflation. Yes. You don't think we're, as, as, the, as the Royal Bank of Australia governor once said, getting a bit inflation nutty about inflation. Uh, we, we just spend too much time on this. and uh, uh, or, or, or is it a legitimate uh, reason why, why everybody's very cautious? No, you know, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think sometimes we do focus a bit too much on inflation. I mean, I think we probably need to focus, and, and this is a big debate in central banking circles. Um, I mean, there's a few different moving parts. One is to move off emergency levels of rates to normalize. The other is to understand where is inflation actually occurring? Is it in, in the goods and services sector, in the real economy, or is it in financial asset prices? And so that's the other question, okay. whether you need to contain that. Okay. Bilal, what a week it's been in the UK for some pretty terrible reasons as, as as well as some amazing political developments but but for the markets none more so than the mpc dissent 5 to 3 is how they voted to keep rates what did you make of that what's what's it, what on earth would we want to be raising hikes in, in amid such political uncertainty and, and and such an economic downbeat mood no, I agree. I'm surprised. I think the market was surprised. Everybody was surprised that they would do this. I mean, the only thing one could say is that the, the most recent inflation numbers were much higher than expected. So to the extent that they, you know, they, they do target inflation, a higher than expected inflation print means they should be a bit more hawkish. But at the same time, they themselves have said that it's a temporary spike in inflation yeah. driven by currencies. So this doesn't make sense necessarily to turn hawkish at this stage. You know, they have time on their hands. Um, but surely the Bank of England should distinguish between what you, what, what you might characterise as good inflation against what this clearly is, which is bad inflation. I agree. I agree. That's why I was surprised by this. I can continue to be. I imagine they will start to move away from this bias. Yeah. If you look at the, what's going on in the UK economy, what we are starting to see now is some weakness in the consumption sector. And that, in part, is driven by declining real earnings. Mm. So wages are weak and then inflation has picked up higher than expected. And that means real earnings are falling. And that's not going to help consumption. It's not going to help the economy. Obviously, investment is going to slow down because of uncertainty around Brexit and so on. So so the one engine of support for the UK economy is starting to moderate. And then if you start to indicate higher interest rates, that's not going to help the consumer either. The market is going through a lot of adjustment on this on this whole UK political story, partly because they just never expected a hung parliament to be the outcome of the election last week. To what extent is sterling or are sterling investors watching and waiting? Because you could argue that the the fall in sterling was actually not as great as it could have been, considering the way the market tends to react to things like hung parliaments. No, I agree. We did some surveys before the election, and we found that people were expecting a 4 to 5% decline in the pound had we had a hung parliament. And we, we got that. But we only had a 2% decline. Now, that tells you that people generally have a very bearish bias towards the UK. So to some extent, they're positioned for the bad news. 
also, I think, was evident from the UK election campaign and also from Theresa May's rhetoric since the, the campaign and all the leaks and so on is that we're moving much more towards a so-called sort of soft Brexit. Mm. So the idea that there is a possibility of no deal seems that the probability of that is much, much lower now than before yeah. because the, the big winner from the election was the Labour Party, which was more conciliatory towards Europe, much more sort of soft Brexit. And so there is a, a, a general shift in market perception that there is a higher chance of uh, a soft Brexit. The problem with this, Bilal, is that ever since Brexit last year, we're nearly to the, at the anniversary, aren't we? That ever yeah. since then, the market has been craving uh, any any comment, any signal that the government is moving towards uh, a soft Brexit. So the inclination for the market to buy the latest soft Brexit headlines is 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 pretty high. To what extent? Should we be a bit sceptical about that? I suppose this is about trying to read political language. And, yeah, and... yeah. I mean, naturally, the markets, particularly London-based investors, are biased in this regard because Brexit doesn't bode very well for the city. But I would say that there's what, what people do crave is some path or some certainty about the path. And at the same time, investors and economists recognize that the longer we have this uncertainty or the higher probability we have towards a hard Brexit, the more impact it will have on the economy. Yeah. The key thing in my view, though, is that whatever the end point, whether it's hard or soft Brexit, what's more important than that is what's the transitional arrangement, you know, because there's no way the UK will be able to come up with the, the all singing, all dancing sort of free trade agreement uh, in, in the next year, year so, and a half. So transition is now top priority, is it? Absolutely. And I think the the you know, the sooner politicians start to focus on yes. that, that we, we need a transitional uh, arrangement, Yes. The, the more comfort it would bring to, to which is Which is what Chancellor Philip Hammond could have been signalling had, had he made so, this margin house yeah, speech yeah. Um, on Thursday. Now, now, the other dimension to all of this is what the Europeans' stance is. Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously this is a negotiation yeah. from, by, from, with two sides and with Macron's victory in the French elections, uh, Merkel has yet to win her election, but she's likely to. Uh, you then have two, two uh, leaders from the dominant economies who will have a mandate to uh, be the main negotiating partners with the UK. And, and they, their interests, to some extent, they will dictate to the terms here. And it's a big if, but if Brexit negotiations do formally start next week, how, how, how should Sterling react? I mean, will, will it be watching every tiny little comment and dot and comma or will it just see this as a formality? Presumably we'll get something, some kind of a, a element of, of, of news yeah, out of I mean, it. I, you know, I think for me, the, the, the critical component is what the Merkel says around this, because she's obviously the, the dominant leader within Europe. And so if she was to give some indication that this, you know, there could be some kind of favorable transition agreement or, or such things, then that could be positive. Or, or if she doesn't, that would be negative for, for the pound. So I think uh, the comments from the leaders like Macron or Merkel would be more, much more important than comments from sort of the more technocratic side. Just finally, Bilal. 
if only the UK had Canada's economy. I mean, this was a, the real surprise of the week, perhaps, wasn't it? That uh, there were the uh, the governor and the deputy governor both pushing pretty hard on a path towards rate normalisation, which shot up the Canadian dollar. And this is the first real breakout of another central bank, other than obviously the Fed, moving towards uh, rate normalisation. Shouldn't we be paying more attention to this? No, I agree. I mean, I think it's it's a uh, you know it it. It was a big move by the policymakers. Their, their economy generally has actually done quite well over the last quarter or two. But the central bank was very, Bank of Canada was being very, very cautious. But now they've, they've switched their tone for whatever reason. I mean, part of their concern may well be that they have an overheating housing market. So they probably recognize that they need to, at some point, tighten, tighten policy. At the same time, the US is quite advanced in its tightening cycle. So as their largest trade partner, it makes some sense for them to, to hike rates. Um, yeah. So this is certainly one to watch. Uh, it also seems like Canada, as an oil exporter, has so far managed quite well with the fall in oil prices yes. over the last six, seven months. Uh, and if it's an outlier, who, who might be following it and uh, and 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 taking note. Can you see others like the, the, the? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a few candidates. I mean, New Zealand is is probably New Zealand and Sweden are probably the two most likely candidates. New Zealand, you know, also has an overheating housing market. Uh, recently, there is some weakness in data, so maybe too early to call for that hike. Uh, the central bank also there has talked about the currency being bit too, or, or also being less of concern to them compared to the past. And Sweden's the other one where they've had relatively good growth over the past year or two. Recently, it's weakened somewhat. Inflation has picked up. They also have a housing issue. So those are the two I would say would be next off the block. Yeah. Okay. My thanks to Bilal Hafiz of Namura. Next week, two big UK and European events. We have the Queen's speech and the start of Brexit negotiations, if indeed they do start. Somehow, the summer looks like being a very hot one indeed. Join us again for Hard Currency. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.